Good morning, everyone. It is good to worship in the house of the Lord. Amen? It is very good. So I want to say something real quick. Pastor Dan mentioned during his announcements why there wasn't anybody showing up for church this morning because he wasn't preaching. But you guys are here, so you must have heard that I get to preach today. So, yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> if, you, if I've not met you, my name is Dan Canoost. I'm the high, high school pastor here at the church, and I have the opportunity. Dan, pastor Dan gave me the opportunity to bring the word this morning, which I'm always excited to do, but you guys kind of freak me out a little bit because you're older than what I'm used to talking to. So bear with me this morning. You're talking to a youth pastor who didn't get hardly any sleep last night, so you guys are in a very dangerous situation. And I've only had about a half a cup of coffee, so who knows what's going to come out of my head this morning. So um, anyway, wanted to welcome you all to church. Glad to see you here this morning. On the way to church this morning, oh, by the way, if you've got your Bibles, turn, turn to the book of Mark this morning is where we're going to be. Um, praying that God gives me some clarity on what he wants me to say, because it's kind of one of those days you've ever been in the fog in your brain, and you're just like, hello, that's kind of what it is this morning, so we'll see what happens. But on the way to church this morning, I was listening to a song that I have on my playlist that I absolutely love. And I didn't give my, many of you know my story, I didn't give my life to Christ until I was 38 years old. And I knew nothing about the Bible. So I was like a blank slate when I gave my life to the Lord. But driving to church this morning, it dawned on me that I know the story of David and Goliath now. And I know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And I know the story of the woman that came in and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his, her tears away with her hair on his feet. Um... I know those stories now, and I'm excited about that. But the fear that I always have or kind of the apprehension, and it's nice to work with high school students because it always keeps it fresh and new, but I think sometimes on a Sunday morning, we get so used to hearing the same Bible stories that sometimes when we come in, we don't check out. I don't want to say it that way, but sometimes we're like, yeah, I've heard this before, and I know the story of the scripture, and I know exactly what's going to happen in this story. So what I want you to do this morning, if you can with me, for just a little bit, is let this be a fresh wind. Let this be something new to you that you maybe don't remember. Maybe you remember hearing this story for the very first time. You may be more mature in Christ in this room, and you may be somebody in this room this morning that doesn't know the stories that are the story that I will share. Maybe you're more like Dan before he gave his life to Christ, and you don't have that understanding and the clarity and the familiarity that we come now with Scripture. So this morning, let it be new just for a minute. Because I think in today's world, we need this more than ever, you guys, just this fresh wind in our face of who God is and what he does and how he works and how we respond to what he's doing as well. So again, turn to, turn to the book of Mark is where we're going to be this morning. But I want to briefly touch on a story to kind of set this up, if you'll allow me to. My daughter, Jennifer, I think is now what, how old is she now? 34 years old, I believe is how old she is. When she was five years old, I was on the road. I was not a pastor in those days, wasn't even a Christian in those days. When I, was, I came home from traveling one week from my job and walked in the house and my daughter looked like probably about the color of the sheet of paper right here. She was just white, almost gray in her gums. And I thought, my Lord, what is going on with you? And it was odd because everybody in the home, not picking on any of them that were there at the time, they'd been with Jennifer all week. She hadn't been feeling good. She'd had bloody noses. All kinds of different things were going on. But they were so with her that they didn't see the stark contrast of what she looked like by me walking in the room and not seeing her. We were in a desperate situation that night, and I made a comment, and I will never forget this. I don't care who is going to see my... It was like 5.30 on a Friday night. I said, I don't care who's going to see my daughter, but somebody's going to see Jennifer tonight because honestly, you guys, I didn't think she'd see morning. That's how bad off she really looked and how she was. So desperate situations, desperate times, right? 
We got Jennifer into the hospital and they told us she had some disease, HUS, her kidneys were shutting down, her platelets were going away. That's why my brother actually drove the van that Jenny was in on Thursday night. He drove it down to Denver to meet us after we were life flighted down. He said it looked like somebody had been murdered in that van because her, her nose started bleeding on Thursday night and she bled so much because she didn't have any platelets to clot anything. So we got her on an airplane Friday night, flew her down to Denver, Colorado, and uh, cost us a lot of money. We didn't have the money, lifeline people. We, I, re, I, I chartered an airplane right after that to get down to Denver. Long story short, God healed my daughter. Seven days later, she walked out of the hospital with no more than a blood transfusion. <clears throat> and again, I was not a Christian in those days, but hear me right, and I'll just say this out loud, I was praying like crazy. I wasn't an atheist. I believed in God. I just didn't have a relationship with him. I had faith that there was a God. I just didn't have faith in knowing that, that Jesus was in the midst of it. I knew he was there. Some of you heard me tell the story, and I won't get into it in depth today because I don't have time. He was in the room with my daughter in that hospital in Denver. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. I want you to hang on to that thought for a second, but long story shortened up. Jenny came home. <clears throat> She's fine. Never had any other issues. God healed her body, her platelets were healed, or her platelets came back, and the only thing she had was a blood transfusion. We had doctors come in all week long telling us she's going to be on dialysis, this won't last, because it was just a moment when God turned the tables, and it started heading a different direction. I say that to say all of this. This morning, as we look into the book of Mark, what I want to do is I want to dig into this idea, this story, desperate times, desperate measures, desperate situation, desperate measures, because Mark, in the book of Mark, he presents Jesus his works, and his teaching. But here's the deal with Mark. It was written to the Roman Christian, Christians in Rome about 55 to 65 AD. Mark 1.1 says it this way, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah of God. I want you guys to watch for God specifically in this story this morning because Jesus is all over the place in this story. But here's the deal. Throughout this book of Mark and the gospel and the Bible, really, there's three different responses to Jesus that we see people have. One is they're all in, they believe, their lives are changed, there's Christians, there's followers. The other ones are kind of like, eh, I don't know, maybe I believe, maybe I don't believe. Not sure yet. And then there's the other ones that just flat out reject Jesus. When I say that I was praying in that situation with my daughter, I was praying like crazy. I could take you to the spot in the hospital, the building I would stare at while I was praying, but I still didn't believe in God. And I walked out of that room, it took me four more years before I ended up bumping into Jesus, if you will, and giving my life to Christ. Four years after I watched God, and I know he healed my daughter. I know what he had done, but I still wasn't ready. So I don't know where you're at in this room, and I don't know where your friends are at in this room, but I want you to know that God will be at work always. So we'll get into a little bit more of this as we go through it, but I want you to, I want to ask, I want you to ask yourself, which person are you in here this morning? Are you the one or watching online? Are you the one that is following Jesus? Are you the one still sort of, yeah? I get it, but I'm not in yet. Make sense? Or are you just flat out rejecting? And if you're rejecting, you're probably not in this room, if that makes sense. But there are people that come to church that want to prove the Bible wrong, that want to doubt, that want to reject. So they're all in this room. Everybody watching online, all sorts of different perspectives. So what I want to do this morning is I want to dig into this in Mark chapter 2. And again, when I read this, a lot of you are going to know this story. Allow yourself for it to be new. Look at it from eyes that are just in amazement of who Christ is and what he's done. So if you turn to Mark chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to dig into this a little bit more, Then I'll break some of it down as we go. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. 
When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, before this, he'd been healing, driving out demons, healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's been up to a lot of different things, and his popularity is starting to grow, and you'll see this in this story. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier for them to say, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through, through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. What an incredible, simple story in the Bible, so packed full of God's power and, and the, the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is I want to break this down, and I want to give you a, a few things. We're going to look at a few of the priorities, I believe, that we see in this story. And the first priority is this, the priority of faithful friends. That's the very first thing we see in this story. Verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read it again. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house was, that he was staying at was so packed with visitors that there was no room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a man on a mat, a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole in the roof above his head and lowered him Lowered the mat, man on his mat right in front of Jesus. Capernaum is about 20 miles northeast, right along the Sea of Galilee of Nazareth, where Jesus actually grew up. But his hometown, they refer to this as his place, his hometown, because <clears throat> this was sort of the headquarters of Jesus' Galilean ministry was Capernaum. So that's why you see this. There is debate that the house, we don't know this for sure, but there is debate that the house was Peter's, Peter's house or Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's home, one or the other. So as we look at this, some of the debate is that, but we don't know for sure. But here's what we do know. The home was crowded. For just a minute, picture this, because this is such an amazing story when you think about this. So the house was crowded. So you know Jesus is healing people. We'll talk about that in a little bit and all these different things going on. And these guys get their friend, and they carry him on a, on a stretcher at a basis, four of them. In the other Gospels, it says there was more than four of them, but four of them were carrying this guy to this house. Because they'd heard these things about Jesus. So they show up at the home. The guy on the put yourself on the guy on the mat for just a second, will you? Can you imagine what this had to be like for this man? He's paralyzed, can't move, laying on a mat, and his friends go, Hey, we got an idea. Let's get him to Jesus. So they pick this guy up and they start carrying him. We don't know how far they carried him, but as they get as you get closer, can you hear you see the house, you see the crowds, you hear the murmuring, and this guy on the mat's gotta be like, again. Nothing good's going to come out of this. I'm stuck where I'm at. This guy had to have a bit of an attitude, I would think. 
of despair, defeat, discouragement, but yet his friends, his faithful friends, kept packing him that way. So they get up to the house, and they're like, well, we can't get in. So they sit Joe down on the mat, and they lay him on the ground right there, right? And you can see these guys over here talking. This guy's laying on a mat in this story. And Joe's over here, and they're, they're, he's on the ground, and they're talking about Joe. We'll call him Joe just for fun, okay? And they're talking, to Joe, they're talking about Joe, and they're like, dude, I don't know what to do. There's so many people in this house. How are we going to get him to Jesus? We can't wait. We can't go home. We can't let this guy down again. He's been a friend of ours forever. We've got to make sure he gets in front of Jesus this time because we know what Jesus has been up to, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So this one of them, we'll call him Clark, gets this idea. Hey, I got an idea. Let's drag him up on the roof and we'll cut a hole in the roof and lower him down into the, into the hole in front of Jesus. We'll beat the crowd. How would you like to be able to do that at the mall? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Not have to deal with the lions anymore. So they get this brilliant idea. And how they did this is in homes in those days, many of you know there were staircases on the outside of the home that would take you up to the roof. And it was a flat roof is what you were dealing with. They would go up there. Where was David at when, when he saw Bathsheba? On the roof. He wasn't in one of them in Gillette where he's hanging on but for dear life because it's a pitched roof. It's a flat roof. They would do... They would sleep out there. They would do all sorts of different things on these roofs. But they get this guy, carry him up the stairs, go in there, and they start digging a hole in this roof. And you think about what they were doing. And the extent that they went through to do this, talk about your faithful friends. Here's what I want to lay before us with the first point this morning, kind of what I dig into this. And I thought about this, too. I thought, okay, so you've got this house. You've got all these people around. These four dudes are digging a hole in some poor soul's home. This is why I think it might have been Peter or Peter mother, Peter's mother-in-law involved in this. Because in Mark chapter 1, it shows that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now think about this. Because you would think, why would somebody let somebody else dig a hole in the roof of their house? Be Peter's mother-in-law for a second. You were healed by this man. Is there anything you wouldn't let happen so that somebody would have the same opportunity to get in front of Jesus Christ? See, I see this picture of, I'd be like, dude, dig, hurry, go, get him down here because I know Jesus will help him. Does that make sense to you guys? Because sometimes when I read these stories, I think to myself, I would have been like, what in the world are you doing? I like, this, I like Pastor Dan's personality in this. I can see him, I can't believe they're doing that. <laughs> what in the world are they up, right? That's what he would have been like if somebody's at home digging a hole in his roof. But that's why I think it may have been along the line somewhere Peter's mother-in-law had to be involved in this. But here's what I want us to see. These guys made a way where there seemed to be no way to get their friend in front of Jesus. I love using this story in the high school room. Because I challenge students all the time, and I'm going to challenge us this morning, and I say us, not you. What are you doing to get your friend in front of Jesus? Have you just given up? I know you guys. You love people dearly, and I know every one of you have someone that you're praying for. Do not grow weary in your well-doing. And make sure like these guys, you pray that God makes a way where there seems to be no way because without him, there is no hope. Does that make sense to you guys? Don't you dare give up. You keep sharing your faith. You keep living the life for Christ. You keep being a light in a dark community because then you'll know you'll be like these guys no matter what the situation or circumstance, even if you're married to someone or you've got family members, you're like, they're never going to come to Jesus. It's up to you to make sure that you give them an opportunity by the way you're living to come to Jesus. Because that's what these guys did. They made a way where there seemed to be no way. And some of you have traveled with Pat Klein in this room for Vision Beyond Borders. 
That is his prayer that he goes to every single time. When he's smuggling Bibles into other countries and there doesn't seem to be a way, his prayer is, Lord, make a way where there seems to be no way. And I would tell you guys, don't you dare give up on your friends this morning. Don't you dare grow weary in your well-doing. You stay, you, you look for opportunities to pray for your friends. You look for opportunities to invite them to church. I know they've said no a thousand times. Invite them a thousand and one. Don't you dare give up. You keep serving and you keep living your life for Christ so that way you'll have an opportunity to dig a roof in somebody's hole and lower your friend down on ropes into, into this room be, right before Jesus. I often think about this too. Where'd they get the ropes? They're carrying this guy on the stretcher. Look at the extent that these guys went to. They're carrying this guy, this guy on a stretcher. They dig holes in the roof, and then they find ropes somewhere along the way. to. Okay, put yourself back in Joe's position for a second. You ready? You're Joe. You've got your four friends packed you up on top of this roof. I'm doing this for a reason. I'm setting something up, so bear with me. You're Joe on the mat, and all of a sudden, your friends are like, okay, ready, Joe? Here we go. We're going to lower you down. We're going to lower you down to that room right down to Jesus. Can you imagine what it had to be like to be Joe? Laying on a mat, staring at the ceiling, up at your friends going, oh my Lord, what are you guys doing? And it says they lowered him right in front of Jesus. Exactly where he needed to be. Keep inviting your friends. Don't give up. Do not grow weary in your well-doing. And you make sure that you get your friends to Jesus. But here, before I go to the next point, but Jesus' response is not what they really wanted to hear. And we're going to talk about that next. Not what his friends wanted to hear. Not what Joe the paralyzed guy wanted to hear. Not what the Pharisees in the room wanted to hear. Because Jesus, what was the guy's biggest need? It was obvious, right? And Jesus did not give them the response that they were expecting. Point number two, because the priority, of, number one was the priority of faithful friends. Now we see the priority of Jesus. Now we see what Jesus' priority is in our life and why he came. And verse five, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, remember they thought to themselves, not out loud, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. As I dug into this and I got to thinking about all the different things within this story, it struck me, it says when Jesus, Jesus seeing their faith, or other translations say, Jesus looked up and saw their faith. What do you suppose he saw? When he looked up and saw the faith of the four people who were lowering this guy down in front of him, what do you suppose he saw? See, in the Greek tense, what this really means is Jesus observed with delight at their faith. So when the Lord is standing here in this room and he's teaching, probably sitting, sitting teaching whatever he's doing, whatever posture he has, all of a sudden there's dirt. <laughs> Preachers have distractions in rooms when you're preaching. There's a lot of distractions, but I can't even imagine. Talk about losing a crowd because it says Jesus is doing what? He's teaching God's word. He's not healing people at this point, which he has done and will do again. He's teaching God's word. Jesus had to lose the room, didn't he? All of a sudden, you hear boards cracking, clay falling, dirt falling, and all of a sudden, this guy comes down out of the roof. Everybody had to kind of be quiet at that moment, think to themselves, what is going on? And Jesus is standing there, and when he looks up, he saw their faith. He saw the faith of those four men, and he thought, saw it with delight. This has convicted me in a mighty way this week as I was studying for this. Because I asked myself this question. If Jesus looks up at me and sees my faith, what does he see? What does he see if he looks at your faith? Does he look upon it with delight? 
I don't know where you're sitting at in this room. I don't know how much despair, discouragement, trouble you've been going through. And maybe you're not at the season of your life. But when Jesus looks at us, I pray that he looks upon us in our faith with delight. And for me, it was very convicting. And I prayed about this a lot this week. And I pray that that's where I'm at. But I want to look at what, the, what faith did these four guys have? I think the first thing was they had very confident faith. Why do I say that? Because they did everything they could to do what? To get their friend to Jesus. And they were not taking no for an answer. So I believe their faith, they had a very confident faith. And the reason they had a confident faith is the same reason we should have a confident faith in this room. Because if we've read scripture and they've experienced, especially just Mark chapter 1. Jesus has been baptized. He's, he's, he's chasing out demons. He's healing people. He's going off in quiet, solitude places, praying by himself. He healed the leper, told the leper, don't go tell anybody. After, and he even touched the leper. He didn't just speak to the leper like he does this guy. He reached out and touched the man with leprosy. And he told the guy, don't go tell anybody. What did the guy do? He went and told everybody. And because he told everybody, you couldn't even get in the house where Jesus was at. So he couldn't go into the towns anymore. He had to be more at quiet places. But I think they had a confident faith. And the reason why is they had already seen what Jesus was doing. Do you guys see that? We can walk around with a very confident faith, exactly like the four of these guys, because we're serving the same God, are we not? There's nothing that he can't do, be it his will, in our lives. And the second thing I think they had was they had very compassionate faith, because they did something. They didn't just look at their friend on the mat going, man, I feel bad for you, dude. I wish there was something we could do for you, but pff, sorry. These guys had a compassionate faith, and they they. They invested themselves into this man on the mat. It reminded me of the Good Samaritan, where the Levite goes by and the, and the priest goes by and nobody does anything, but the Good Samaritan goes to the Jew who was alongside the road in that parable, and he invested in the guy. He knelt down. He did what it took to take care of the guy. Compassion is more than feeling bad for someone. Having a compassionate face means we do something about it. And the best thing we can do about it, in my opinion, is pray like crazy for our friends. And make sure that we're always there for them to serve them, to come alongside them, and be a light in very dark situations that they're in. Another thing I believe they had was very contagious faith. This is where I've, I've, I've thought a lot about this because there's debate over this with theologians. Jesus said when he saw their faith, he said to the man, be healed or your sins are forgiven, right? Whose faith did he see? I believe in a sense he saw all five. This is where I believe they're, the four friends that this guy had, they're... Their faith was contagious. I've been around people like this where it's like their faith is so contagious and so strong and they're so committed to Christ, you almost buy in because of somebody else's faith. And I really believe that's what the guy on the mat had. He had to be thinking to himself, just leave me be. Let me alone. You ever been there? I'm discouraged. I'm down. I'm defeated. Just let it be. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm finished. This guy didn't do that. So I believe Jesus actually saw his faith as well. And the reason I am confident in saying that is because of the way he responds, which I'll share in a minute. Martin Luther says it this way. Martin Luther says, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. And it is so, it, it is so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. That's Martin Luther's confession as far as what faith looks like. And I believe this guy on the mat... He had to have some level of faith. 
in this as well because he cooperated with his friends. Listen to me. If you ever get yourself in the spot where this guy was at, he had to be down, discouraged, despair, whatever that was. We have to humble ourselves as Christians even. And we have to allow our friends to help. This is a big one for me. I'm not very good at this. I'm not very good at allowing other people to help. But this guy had to humble himself because otherwise he could have been screaming on that mat, leave me alone, leave me here, I don't want to go, all these different things, but you don't get the sense of that in this story. And because of that, because of the expressive, because of the expression of faith of his four friends, Jesus looked down at the paralytic man who was seeking to be healed and gave him much more than that. And I love the response of what Jesus says here in this translation, my child, your sins are forgiven. What a powerful statement that our Lord makes. My child, your sins are forgiven. See, we look at this story and we want healing for our own bodies, which, trust me, I get. But what was most important for this guy on the mat? Jesus' priority was the forgiveness of his sin. That provides us eternal life. He'll get it to to the other later, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. And this word forgiven in this sense means this, to take away. To actually remove sin is what this means. Remember what John 1.29 says? Behold the Lamb of God, John says. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus knew what this guy's biggest priority was, and it was not him being paralyzed on a mat. It was him having his sins forgiven. That's Jesus' number one priority. We know this because John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 says this. Not all, sin is, not all sickness is caused by sin. In John chapter 9, it says, As they went along, he saw a man <clears throat> blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says, Neither of he, he or his parents have sinned, Jesus said. But this has happened that God might display, be displayed in him. Not all sickness is because of sin. The Jews believed that. The Jews genuinely believed in those days that if you had sickness, it was because of sin. You see it in the book of Job. But Jesus makes it very clear that's not the case. And Jesus, he shows what his priority is. And what he says to this paralytic triggered a negative response in that house. Because he looked down and he says, as this guy's lowered down in front of him, he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. What do you think the guys on the roof were like? That's not what we brought him for. (laughs) We brought him because we wanted him to get up and walk. And we've watched you heal people. This is the first place we see where Jesus forgives sin. This aggravated the people in the room. The teachers that were in the room, it shows Luke and his, his portrayal of this in the gospel of Luke. He talks about how these teachers that were in the room, so you've got a room full of Jews, people that are just excited to be fed, watch the healings. Jesus is there, the four people up on the roof, and then you've got the teachers of the law also in this room. They came from all, everywhere in the Galilean region, Jerusalem, Judea, to see Jesus and to actually find out if what this guy was up to that they'd heard about, was it true? So you've got teachers of the law in the room, and this triggered them when Jesus said, my, son, my, my child, your sins are forgiven. Because what that meant was Jesus is basically saying, I'm God. There'll be a lot of people in this world that you'll run into that say Jesus never claimed to be God. The teachers of the law here were pretty clear on what he was claiming to be. And what they said was because of that, they accused Jesus of blasphemy. Blasphemy because he, was, he considered himself to have the same authority as God does by forgiving sins. That's what the Jews thought. Blasphemy is this. It's an insult to God's name and honor. 
and applying the same characteristics to yourself. So what Jesus is saying is, I have the same characteristics as God himself because I can forgive sin. That's what he's saying. And this drove the teachers of the law nuts. That's why they were thinking to himself, what is he doing? This is blasphemy. Because he is saying that he has the same authority as God to heal sin, to heal and to forgive sins on this side of heaven. In the Jewish law, blasphemy in Leviticus 24 is actually punishable by death. And as I was studying this, I came across this. Innocent persons can be accused, convicted, and killed without having a chance to defend themselves. Sound familiar? Easter's coming up, right? Why did Jesus get hung on the cross? See, the Jews believed Jesus claimed to be God. There was no debate over that. So when people say Jesus never claimed to be, yes, he did. And you see it spattered through all throughout scriptures. If Jesus would have left this guy in the situation he was in and just healed his body rather than bringing him from death to life as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, it would have been short of what he really needed to have happen to him. The third thing is this, the priority of proof is what I want to touch on now. The priority of the proof that Jesus gives that he is the son of man and he does have authority to heal or to forgive sins on this side of heaven. And it was not blasphemy. See, the problem that the Jews had <clears throat> is they heard what he said, but they did not accept that he was the Messiah. All the signs of the Messiah, you guys, were healing and, and doing all the things that Jesus was up to. These were all signs of the Messiah, but the Jews, the teachers of the law, missed the whole thing. And they thought it was blasphemy when really in all reality, the book of Mark here makes it clear who Jesus was claiming to be. So here's the priority of proof. In verse 8 and 9 and through 11 or 12, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, remember now, he knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question me? Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then the man jumped. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through all the stunned onlookers. So how did Jesus prove that he is who he says he was, the Son of Man? First thing he did, he knew what they were thinking. Jesus was fully man and fully God, as everyone in this room probably knows by now. Fully man and fully God, he could read the thoughts of people. He knew their thoughts, he knew their intents, and he knew their motives. That's why he asked them straight out, why do you raise these questions in your heart? Could you imagine being the teachers of the law? They hadn't said a word, you guys. They hadn't said anything. It's like when you're a kid and your mom and dad know what you're thinking. They're like, how do you know that? Well, Jesus knew it because he is the Son of Man, because he is God. He has the ability to read our thoughts, our intents, and the motives of our hearts and minds. So he says to these guys, why do you say this stuff? Jesus knew who he was and what he was doing. And he says, it is, is it easier for me just to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? That's a very interesting question that Jesus lays before them. What would you rather do? Walk up to someone and say, hey, your sins are forgiven. See ya. Or would you rather say, get up and walk? No, really. Really, get up and walk. Would you get up, right? So which would be easier? To say your sins are forgiven for us, would it not? Because that's something that proof doesn't come from right away, if you will. But Jesus did this not to prove himself to himself for his sake, 
but for everyone in the room to see that he is the son of man, that he does have the ability to forgive sin and heal on this side of heaven. This son of man title that he gives himself is actually not just the human side of Jesus. That doesn't mean that he's fully human and fully God. That means the Messiah uh, that comes from the prophetic statement in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. That's where that comes from. And that shows in there that the Son of Man has the same authority as God in heaven does. And that's, again, why this drove the Jews absolutely insane. And the man verified that Jesus had this authority when Jesus looked down at him and said, get up and go home. Pick up your mat and go home. And this is this, this tense, again, the Greek tense in this is, means this, to start walking, to keep on walking, no matter what, and he gathered up his mat and went home. So in other words, this shows complete healing in this man. It wasn't a one-off where he got home and he was paralyzed again. This was complete healing. And how we know this is, is because it was under the authority of Jesus Christ that he said this. It was in, in Mark chapter 1, he talks about how he's a man who teaches with an unusual authority. And in this, this is where you see Jesus basically saying, under my authority, your sins are forgiven, and under my authority, I want you to get up, pick up your mat, and go home. That's the picture that we see with everything going on around this. But here's what I want to get across to everybody this morning. I want to, before I go to my last point, I want to touch on this for just a second. Many of us have prayed for healing for loved ones and friends, believers and non-believers, that we don't see sometimes. It's just not God's will to heal that person on this side of heaven. Why? I'm going to echo the words of Billy Graham here. When people ask Billy Graham, why doesn't God heal everyone? And Billy Graham says, I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know why sometimes God heals and sometimes he doesn't when we pray and we seek his face. But here's what we do need to know. We need to ask, we need to pray, we need to keep on praying, and we need to pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's getting ready to drink the cup. This prayer was answered, if you think about it correctly. Jesus says, if this, if this cup can pass before me, let it be so. But not my will, but thy will be done. You see, in that prayer, Jesus' prayer was answered, was it not? Not my will, but thy will be done. And the will of the Father was done. God is able, but even if he doesn't, God is able, and we should ask and pray and seek his face on these things. We should never quit praying for healing in our lives. But Jesus' number one priority, the reason he came, was to seek and save that which was lost. The real miracle, you guys think about this, the real miracle, is it not? Someone being born again. That's an eternal healing, you guys. Even Lazarus being raised from the dead, he still died. As incredible as that story is, he still passed away. I want God to heal people and myself when I'm in issues and situations. I want God's touch to come onto my body and take care of my infirmities. Absolutely, and I believe he can. With all my heart, I believe he can. You see it in the scripture. We've watched it, all watched it or heard about it. But here's what I want more than that. I want to know that my name is written in the book of life. Yes? I want to know that I'm known and I'm known by him. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to praise him for. That's what I want to lean on. So in the midst of situations that I go through, no matter what happens to me, I have that peace in my heart knowing that I'm known by God and I'm a child of God and my name is written in the book of life. Isn't ultimately that's what we want for every person that we know, is it not? 
Because I don't believe anybody wants anyone cast into hell for eternity, do we? So pray for healing. Pray for God's touch. He's able to do it. And pray that not your will be done, but his will be done in that person's life. Because Father knows best on what situations that we deal with. So Jesus goes on. He had the authority. He has the authority to read hearts. He has the authority to heal body, bodies. He is the son of man. He forgives sins. Praise God because he forgives our sins. Amen? If you're born again and you've been brought from death to life in this room, there's nothing else you need in your life. God's provided everything that you need to make it to heaven shore safely. But the fourth point is this. I want to touch on this briefly. The priority of praise. Ready? Here's what it says. They were all amazed and praising God, exclaiming, we never seen anything like this before. If I can have the band come up on stage, I'm going to close with this real quickly. This is the first time in this whole story where people speak. The first thing they say that is recorded in this story is at the end of it, in chapter 12, when they all praise God and are glorifying God because of what they saw Jesus do in this house. So I want to give us an opportunity this morning to do this. The healing that Jesus gave this man was immediate. His forgiveness of his sins was immediate. And it, because of that, they immediately started praising God. It says in the scripture here, it says, and they've never seen anything like this before. You know why they say this? Because there was a sense of fear in that room. Could you imagine what that had to look like? You've got this paralyzed guy. And think about Joe, the paralyzed guy. All this is going on, and he's still laying around the mat going, hey, hello, can somebody help me here? And finally, Jesus in his priority turns to him, heals his body. He gets up and walks out of the room. People had to be a little bit freaked out and afraid, didn't they? Because they saw the power of God working through this man by the name of Jesus. Healed the guy, forgave him of his sins, sitting right there in that room. And this guy gets up. I can't even imagine what this would look like. Somebody came in this room, was plopped down on the floor, and Jesus speaks. He gets up, picks up his mat, and walks out. Do you imagine what that had to look like? I could, it would just be mind-boggling. I'd be like, oh my gosh. There's a sense of fear in this as well. But the praising and the glorifying God for this man getting up and walking out is the most amazing thing. And I never want, for me personally, I never want to lose that sense. I've been forgiven of my sin. My name's written in the book of life. I know where I'm going when I die. I got that peace in my heart exactly like this guy did. And maybe you've experienced healing in this room. Good for you. I'm glad it was God's will that that happened for you. So why don't we do this this morning? Why don't we mimic and echo what this crowd did? Thinking about this story, and just for a moment, for the very first time this morning, I want to let you guys' voice be raised. I want this to be an interactive experience for us, if I can, that you've watched this man be raised up and begin to walk, and his sins forgiven, God himself in the room with you. God's presence was in that house that day, and this guy gets up and walks out. So are you forgiven? Praise him. Have you been healed? Praise him and give him glory from fear and reverence and awe of who he is and what he's done in your life. I sat in my office and I cried like a little kid on Thursday. A healthy spiritual life with God is way more important than a perfectly healed body. And I said, and that struck me in a way that I've never been struck before. I have frailties and infirmities in my body that I deal with daily. Prayed God to take them away for whatever reason he hasn't. If God said, Dan, that's not the important thing I want for you. 
I want you to know that your sins are forgiven. That's way more important than me taking whatever's going on in your body away. So Jesus' priority is to heal us, to forgive us of our sin, and make sure we get to, get to heaven, and to guard your relationship along the way through the, power your, by, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, if you would stand. For just a minute, I want to be interactive, and I want you guys to have the opportunity to praise the Lord because of what he's done in your life, exactly like these guys did when they praised the Lord for what they did, what they got to see that Jesus did in this man's life as well.
job, you guys. So here's what I want you to hang on to. There's joy in the house of the Lord today because the, temp, the, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in the temples of our hearts. We are God's house, and we will have joy, continuous joy, perseverance through all the different trials and situations that we're experiencing, knowing that Jesus is in our house. That's where we find our joy. He will meet every need you have. Might not do everything you want him to do, but he will meet every need by the priority that he sees in each one of our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good, and we are grateful, Lord, so grateful for the stories in the Bible, the ones that encourage us, convict us, and sustain us through all that we go through on this side of heaven. So help us to remember, Lord, as we close with this song this morning, there's joy in the house of the Lord in our hearts because we know the one true living God resides there. As Christians, we believe that with all of our hearts. So meet us where we need met. Help us where we need help, Lord, and we trust you that you'll do what you think is best. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.